Welcome to Head to Toe, a series of interviews with experienced medical health professionals, illuminating healthcare's history while shedding a light on its future. Episode 2. Today I interview Kathy Cool, a registered nurse with over 30 years of experience who just retired. Headphones check. Microphone check. All right, here we are. <laughs> okay, where are Karaoke we? songs. Where check. are we? Who are we with? We are with, I can say your name, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we yeah, are yeah. with my former colleague and friend, Kathy Cool, in her home in St. Helens, Oregon. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Marie. <laughs> Thank you for just having the time to sit down with me. Kathy, you retired how, how many days ago? Uh, since the, f- well, the first was my last day, so what's today, the 25th? Today is May 25th, 2016. So, 24 days. My goodness. How do you feel? Awesome. 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 I really do. I feel awesome. I feel anxious because I'm still thinking that I have to go back to work at some point. <laughs> You're just waiting for your <laughs> And then I tell myself I don't have to go. Yeah. 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 So it's I know that that will go away. And I'm having work dreams. Work dreams. Yes. I bet that won't Which ever I, end. You know, it might not. I've had work dreams my entire career. Yeah. So. I still have like high school dance team dreams. And awesome. I was like... 12 years ago but okay let's get to it all right so as some of maybe the 42 people out there who have downloaded my my podcast or maybe the one person who's downloaded it 42 times not really sure has known um it, my aim here is to uh to record a little bit of nursing history and i think kathy holds a lot of that so we're gonna start here and my very first question is um to tell me a little bit about your background in nursing as in where did you go to school what year did you finish training, and how long have you been in the nursing field? I have been in the nursing field for more than 34 years. I've been a registered nurse for 34 years, but I started working as a nurse's aide after I was, I think, 17. And so I was in my early 20s when I graduated. So add add like five more years to that. Almost 40 years. Almost 40. Long time. That's a long time. Long time. I went to two years at Oregon State to do pre-nursing. I didn't get accepted into a nursing school after my first year. So I went one more year and took a whole bunch of anatomy physiology type classes so that it would be easier when I actually started nursing school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got accepted at OHSU and went there. And that was... A long time ago, and it was grueling. Mm. I graduated in 82 mm-hmm. and started working probably two days after graduation. Two days? Which was really stupid. Oh in gosh. hindsight, I should have given myself a couple of weeks. Oh, so that wasn't typical. It's not like everybody started. No. Okay. <laughs> no, it You're was just, like, just go. <laughs> me. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know Oregon State had a... Oregon State um, had had sort of a quasi-pre-nursing program where you took all the basic sciences, and I, I have a degree, so you had to get certain things under your belt that you wouldn't get in nursing school, per se, like mm-hmm. like um, anthropology. Oh, my gosh. And English and math, okay. some of those kind of classes. Interesting. And physical education was required then, too. I don't know if it still is in college, but it was. Uh, it was the first year of college. I think the closest <laughs> physical education <laughs> I, I, may, I may have gotten a minor in beer pong in yeah, college. Good, that might have been. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> the closest thing to physical education I got. Um, so it, from OHSU, was that a bachelor's degree then? Yes. Okay. 
Excellent. Yes, and I'm very glad I did that because I would not have gone back to school in the last 10 years right. to get my bachelor's degree. Which just seems to be the which trend Which is totally the trend now. Yeah. It yeah. seems to be the, the entry level yes. degree. Yes, so. it does. 34, well, 34 RN years. 34 RN just years. Just under 40 years of healthcare work. That is phenomenal. So all in that time, what kinds of nursing work have you done? Mostly critical care. The first nine months, I was um, on a med surge unit similar to Unit 55 at Emanuel mm-hmm. with telemetry, mm-hmm. um, night shift. And I became a charge nurse probably after three or four months. Oh, my. And Yeah, I know, like really fast. <laughs> and it was like a 35-bed unit, and there were three or four usually three nurses on at night so the charge nurse had you know like an 11 I'm sorry did you say three uh-huh <laughs> yeah so we had like an 11 patient or 12 patient load oh my god <laughs> each nurse i almost quit nursing in that nine months i i had like this epiphany moment when i was taking temperatures at six thirty in the morning and and going is this why i went to five years of college and killed myself to take temperatures on people. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I got into critical care, mm-hmm. kind of through the back door. Our hospital went to 12-hour shifts, and the people in the ICU um, that worked swing didn't want to go to days. They wanted to work nights, so they had these day shift openings. And I had started floating in there when they desperately needed help. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, <laughs> but, you know. They just said, hey, you got a license. Right? Yeah. Come on you in. know what, though? That's the way it was then. Wow. I've been there full full time, which was less days of work for um, more pay than I was working before. So, wow, yeah, so you know, it worked out really good. It did. <laughs> so that's a long time to like witness like changes in yeah, it in, is in critical critical care. Um, to backtrack a bit, what made you became become a nurse in the first place? My mom was a nurse, and she was a really good storyteller. And she used to tell stories at the dinner table about nursing. And I think I always wanted to kind of emulate my mom. And um, so I started at a fairly young age thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. And and fairly young, probably 12, 13, 14 in that age group. She did not want me to do that. I'm not sure why. She's not either. She and I actually asked her about that one day, and and she said she really didn't know why she didn't want me to do that. She didn't want you to become a nurse. Yeah, but um, I just went by myself and got like the minimal CN- CNA training because you had you know they they have CNAs all the time. Well, back then, in uh, you know seventy something, you uh, learned how to take a blood pressure. And you mm-hmm. learned how to take a pulse, mm-hmm. and they certified you as a CNA. Ta-da! I know. <laughs> da 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 da. <laughs> Bed baths followed. <laughs> you know, so so I went down and got myself a job at the hospital. Which one? Right out here at St. Helens. It's it's not a hospital anymore. They mm. they um went kind of went belly up quite a long time ago now, um, but that's where I worked as a CNA in the hospital and in one of the nursing homes here in in town. And you were a teenager when you started that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And they just were like, I'm going to go yep. right on into nursing. Yep. And-, and so when my mother realized I was serious, she said, if you're going to do this, you have to get a bachelor's degree. Okay, stop. Wait, hang on. Um, 
I have to disclose to you guys that I am not a professional audio technician and that I kind of screwed up a little bit somehow in the uh, saving of all this. Some of the bits and audio files kind of got, I don't know, swept away from my computer. So unfortunately, there's some silent parts in my podcast, which I have to kind of stop and fill. And anyway, you're going to hear me sort of interject in and out, which I actually hate in podcasts, but I'm going to have to do it to make it sound somewhat coherent. So forgive me as I interject here. Don't worry, I got all the good parts. The saving thing happened after I did all my final edits anyway. So when that happens, you'll hear this drum sound. Kathy goes on to talk about what has and hasn't changed in nursing over her long career. You know, the the basic core nursing stuff was probably the same with Florence mm-hmm. Nightingale, sure. and, it, and it is now. Sure. You know, I don't care how glamorous your job is. If you work in a hospital, you clean poop. <laughs> You do vital signs. She goes on to talk about the formal training that she received to be an ICU nurse and about the drugs that they used at the time. Mm -hmm. And we had some of those back then. Mm -hmm. And we titrated them and we took care of them. And the doctors would kind of teach us how to do that. But they never taught us why it worked. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that when I got into critical care that I'd never, I never really cognizantly learned like the young nurses learn today mm-hmm. because we didn't have classes we didn't sure. have consortium sure you picked it up by the seat of your pants and um if you had the time you could go to some of the seminars that they'd have mm-hmm. my my critical <laughs> care transition was like as, as kathy is saying consortium like i had to do um 12 weeks of didactic and bedside orientation you know, meaning like I went to like several classes that nurses from all over the state came to to talk about what critical care was and all these drugs, what they do, anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology. And then I had to do a certain number of bedside hours with a preceptor until I was deemed got the stamp of competency to like go out there on my own. And you're telling me they kind of you just kind of walked in and they were like, I kind of do this and I kind of do that. And there you go. You're on your way. <laughs> that's that's exactly what we did. My first night in in the ICU, when I was when I was still transitioning into mm-hmm. ICU, they just said, "Oh, you know, Kathy, there's this there's this hole in the ICU tonight. They need a nurse. Do you want to go?" Right. And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." Because mm-hmm. I figured it would be taking you know twelve temperatures at six thirty <laughs> in the morning, right? And 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 really, my orientation was. It was a six-bed ICU, and um, I, I was given a patient. One and patient. Yes. Yeah, I think we just had two patients in there that night. Mm-hmm. I did have the telemetry class because I had to have it for the telemetry unit. So she said, you know, we watch for, we watch for mm-hmm. arrhythmias and the stuff on there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, if you have questions, just, just, just come find me. Wow. That was my orientation <laughs> <laughs> to ICU. Truly, I never had any kind of, I never had any kind of bedside orientation. Yeah. I love that you brought up uh, like the Florence Nightingale years and that like nursing is nursing and like the core of it and what it is, I feel like is, is unchanging and that like we're here to take care of sick people and, you know, we're so plugged in these days to all these monitors and all these other things. But, it, you know, while critical care nurses are doing all that, we're, we're still like holding people's hands and, and turning them and like, you know, just you know, you get to the point where you're 34 years in, you can just look at somebody without looking at a blood pressure and go, oh, they're in trouble, or they're really sick, or they're just fine. They need to get out of here now. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you brought yeah. that up. That's great. 
How has your career in nursing affected your life outside of it? (laughs) I learned at an early age in nursing that I had to keep a balance with my life because it can be so intense and so emotionally draining. I learned to leave it at work for the for the most part. Some things like some things I've always taken home with me, but I've I've never felt like it was oh like like an executive type career where where people are climbing the ladder to make more, to do more, whatever. Mm-hmm. Once I got into critical care, I felt much more interested in what I was doing. It wasn't um, it wasn't the run of the mill stuff anymore. There were things. Kathy basically says that ICU is her place, and she wasn't going to work anywhere else. Floor nursing. I don't think I could have done floor nursing for thirty four years. I think I would have quit. Mm-hmm. Working weekends and holidays was a little bit of a drag, but I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. My mom worked weekends and holidays, and we always made it work. Mm-hmm. My next question for Kathy was. Um, can you think of a story of a patient, a family, a doctor, or coworker that has left a lasting impression on you, positive or negative? One of the things that I, I was not able to leave at work was was my first donor case. Mm-hmm. That was, and th- and that actually impacted me fairly enormously. I actually went to one of the pastors at work for a while, um, like maybe three or four weeks like an hour a week to Mm. talk about all my feelings about it. Mm -hmm. It was something that just affected me profoundly. It was a young woman who had a blood clot from her leg from, from knee surgery and she collapsed on the sidewalk and we wound up with her at holiday park. We weren't at, I wasn't at a manual then and um, they coded her and brought back what they could, but she was brain dead. She had had like a huge saddle emboli Mm -hmm. and she was, she was in her, early 20s I think she was I think she was maybe 21 or 22 and I was 27 or 28 at the time and so she was still you know kind of in my in 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 my age group most of the patients that that I took care of were a lot older than me and so it really struck me and she was she was just so alive looking and so beautiful looking when we were taking care of her. And then the donor people came in and it was all just very interesting, all the stuff we did to get like her body ready for donation. Mm-hmm. I had a huge struggle for a while with, with the whole concept of brain death versus real physical death. Mm-hmm. And I am a donor, but I still sometimes have issues with it. I remember going home crying, dri- driving home crying in my mm-hmm. car all the way home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was... Did that change? Profound. Yeah, I'm sure. Did that change your um, your practice at all from that point on? Or perhaps the way you just <sighs> ap- approached sort of end-of-life scenarios like that? You know, I, I, I think it did. Her her parents were, were in um, Australia at the time, oh, and they my. had to fly back home. Her dad was a physician, oh, and no. he knew exactly what was going on, and her mom was was not. Mm-hmm. And when they got there, dad came in and looked at her and talked to us and, and said, okay, let's go. And mom had a very hard time leaving. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, I think it really opened me up to more and more empathy for family members mm-hmm. with, with people that are, that are dead, mm-hmm. you know, when they're not yet. I, I, sure. The donor thing is just such, 
And I've never enjoyed taking care of donor patients ever since then. <laughs> I'll pass them off to other people. <laughs> I'm sure sometimes everybody has because those it's long it's cases, like yeah. oh I don't I don't want to do that. But um, I think it I think it makes you kinder more to family members, more empathetic, more mm-hmm. compassionate. It was a it was a major undertaking to turn off life support in the ICU. That was a huge thing. Now it's it's more commonplace, I think. And now it, it seems like sometimes you almost have to fight tooth and nail for the patient's right to pursue life at all costs, even though we're all like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But if the person wants every avenue exhausted, who are we to say, no, we can't do that for you? The land of the free. So that that was a huge shift, um, a huge shift in focus mm-hmm. in so nursing for me. Before, when you're t- saying it was more, it was it was less done. The withdrawal of life support is that for? Do you think it was because of like a litigious nature, and that they felt because they had to protect the, their their livelihood and their licenses, or it was just more of a oh, we're not going to. It was more seen as giving up. Much it as, was more seen as giving up. Mm. I, I think there was some litigious thoughts in there occasionally, probably with depending on which patient, you know, sure. it was. I mean, that's 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 out there all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I really think it was it was much more. We we don't give up in America. We don't let people die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Death is the enemy. And, and right. so yeah, and so we will do horrible things to you to keep you alive right. because we're not going to let you go. Which is so which which we still do now true. sometimes with with patients and and we fight tooth and nail for the people who wanted to be let go mm-hmm. which i I think is kind of interesting in, in this day and age that you have to fight so hard for that mm-hmm. but on the other hand, there are people who don't want to let go right and so they are people that you know it's 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 hard to balance that mm-hmm. of what yeah. sometimes yeah, I think sometimes we focus too much on you know you know what people define as death rather than what mm-hmm. do rather than what do people define as living you know and what what kind of quality quality of life is, is is a huge deal it's a huge deal and yeah. and we live in america and americans don't want to die yeah. they don't want to think about death mm-hmm. they don't it's want not part to, of our culture really yeah. no it's not you're in you're in denial that death is part of life i think if i think in different countries you don't quite get that feeling Mm-hmm. And there are countries that don't even offer some of the stuff that we offer mm-hmm. patients totally. at, at end of life. Totally. When you're putting an 85 year old on kidney dialysis oh, that has, you know, that 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 has terminal cancer anyway. Hello. <laughs> I think that's that's so that's, that's so part of this because they wouldn't even offer that. Oh, like no. in England. I think, or Australia or, or Canada. Maybe, yeah. There's there's lots and lots. I haven't of countries worked in those. That are, disclosure: I've never worked in any of those places. No, I, I never have like, either. <laughs> but I have talked to physicians who have, mm-hmm. and and some of those. I I had a cardiologist that I worked with when I was at Holiday Park, who mm-hmm. was from Brazil, and some of the things that we did in America mm-hmm. with older patients, mm-hmm. he he would just shake his head and scratch his hair and go, "Okay, you know, I'm in America, so I need to practice this way." But he would oftentimes tell me in Brazil that these people would be sent home on their equivalent of hospice. Right. Totally. So very, very interesting how different countries approach that, I think. Absolutely. What are the kinds of stressors that nurses go through today? Are they the same as when you started or have they changed at all? So you think a lot of the stresses are the same from what yeah, you Oh, I do. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, I do. As the nature and, of And I think they're more changed. so now. Um, 
it was it was a huge stressor for me to learn computer charting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've been this dragged kicking and screaming into that the computer into. age. <laughs> yes, with the older nurses. I still have a flip phone, Marie. <laughs> In fact, we just upgraded our flip phones yesterday. We got about new a flip cellular phones. device. Uh-huh, the phone I am. Not a t- okay. Yeah, the flip phone where you flip it closed, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah, I still have that. So computer charting was a stressor, a big stressor for me in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think, too, that the emphasis on more and more technology coming in and, and more and more having to justify and, and document everything that you're doing to mm-hmm. a patient mm-hmm. The computer charting was supposed to take some of that extra documentation away. No, it hasn't. And it was supposed to take paper away. It hasn't done that either. That's <laughs> true. Absolutely it just—it true. seems like every time you went to work, there was a new thing that you had to document or that you had to audit. And do you see that increasing in the last few years or just, just since the institution of electronic I charting? see it increasing over the whole 34 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think worse now that we have the electronic charting. Starting to exponentiate, yeah. perhaps. And I think a lot of that is litigious-based. Yeah, sure. Medicare won't pay for things. It's all about insurance reimbursement. Insurance won't. It is. That's yeah. the bottom line in mm-hmm. a hospital. Another great segue. Man, <laughs> I wrote a, these questions in I good know, order. Good uh, job. <laughs> what has kept you in nursing for almost 40 years? And oh. what do you imagine nursing will be like in the future? Wow. Yeah, that's a huge question because I've wondered that myself more than once. Mm-hmm. And I have had a couple, probably three major burnout periods with my career in nursing where I've actually gone to counseling to work through it. Um, basically because I, I did it well and it was a good job and it paid well and the hours were awesome where else can you pick the days that you work? Mm-hmm. You know, the the scheduling has, has always been wonderful. And I did not want to go back to school to learn a different trade or a different career mm-hmm. and spend the time and the money and the effort to do that. And so I figured I would be better off to learn how to deal with the stressors in a, in a more healthy way and get through the burnout. Um. And so that was one one of the huge reasons that I stayed because I didn't want to I didn't want to do something different. Mm-hmm. I just thought with a with a family with a kid it would just be too hard to go back to college. And I, I know a lot of people do that nowadays, but it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> I think a lot of people do that to get into nursing. Nursing. I seems know. To I be think people do. Popular and, and second career. We see. Yeah, we see a lot of older people going into nursing now, mm-hmm. and I applaud them for getting through nursing school with families. Oh god, or just oh. in general at all. Graduating. Yeah, yeah, it was Perhaps. hard. And and you know the other thing that that kept me in there is it, I just there's something about taking care of someone. And making making their hospital stay better, easier, helping them to get through whatever it is that they're dealing with. That even even though you rarely get thanks from patients, it was self gratifying for me. I can probably count, you know, on on one and a half hands maybe <laughs> the times when patients have genuinely said, Hey, you know what you did made a difference. But I can see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of 
getting yourself through burnout and handling the stress is is learning to recognize the difference that you do make without someone telling you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that some nurses don't figure out. That's true. It's, it's interesting to differentiate between some people's meaningful recognition is, is very tangible versus right. other, for other people it can be simply emotional or mental or spiritual or right. um, running out of adjectives. But, yeah, no, I yeah. think that's, that kind of sums that up. Yeah. 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 Uh, the second part of that question, what do you, what do you see the future of nursing being like? I think it's going to get more technical. I think that nurses are going to, again, start doing more things that doctors have been doing now. I, I would not be surprised to see nurses trained to put in central lines. Yeah, that's that was um, something mentioned in our, our intubation. First yeah, oh you know, God. all, Which they do all in like Europe. those kind of things. I think yeah, they do in I Europe. think they do too. And if you're a nurse anesthetist here, you can you do that. Mm-hmm. But um, just like just your more and more. your ICU staff nurse, you know, mm-hmm. you call the doctor and go blah blah blah, and their blood gases are this, and I think they need to be tubed, and the doctor's going to go, yeah, okay, tube them. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know what you're going to do, what you're going to do next. How big's their neck? Use a six and a half. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. And I think floor nursing, I think that they're going to shift back again to less patients, more nurses, if they can find the nursing staff, because I mm. think there's a lot of dissatisfied patients out there mm-hmm. who have to wait a long time for their request to be answered because that nurse is juggling five or six patients. Mm-hmm. They'll either do that or they'll do a model where there's more CNAs, where there's more personal attention with the patient. Because the bottom line, again, is that money. And mm-hmm. if your patients aren't happy with your hospital, they're not going to come there. Right. They're going to go where they get that personal one-on-one care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, like... I don't think I could, I, I really admire the nurses that work on the mm-hmm. floors. Mm-hmm. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> what would you change about the nursing profession if you could? You know, I don't know. That's that that is making me think. Um, boy, thinking's good. Thinking is good, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. We might have to get back to that. I'm going to have to put that That's in the back okay. of my head and think about it because, amidst all the the stressors and all the difficulties with nursing, you know, I'm I'm not really sure what I would do to make it better than it is mm-hmm. of course more pay is always good but but you know I've I've supported a family on what I make mm-hmm. without any problems mm-hmm. and I have a decent retirement mm-hmm. you know for what we do you You're know well maybe maybe if they maybe if they would take away the poop but but then that <laughs> would but then that would take away some of that personal touch that you have with your patients it so I don't be. know I I would say really hospitals upper level needs to focus on just supporting their nurses and and I'm I'm not sure what the answer is with that Mm -hmm. and I know that they that they've been trying to do that Mm -hmm. you know because we we see all the surveys and stuff probably over the last 10 years there's Mm -hmm. been much more of a focus on trying to keep your nurses happy Mm -hmm. we've it sounds like you've worked at both very large 
institutions and very small, and very small. institutions. I, I think I, at least what I have maybe gleaned um, is that the, perhaps the larger an institution gets, the, f- the farther distance there is between your your upper lo- your upper level nursing administration versus your your bedside. But or do you, or do you think that that's not there? No, I think that's I think that's quite true. When I worked at Holiday Park, we we often saw upper level management, our bosses, bosses, they, they would just routinely, you know, walk through mm-hmm. and say, hi, mm-hmm. how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Whatever. And, and I think it's important that people circulate through, tell you who they are, mm-hmm. tell you you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody gets kind of nervous, but at the same time, it's nice to know that they know who you are. Mm-hmm. Or where the ICU is. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. And what your real name is. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah, because at, at Holiday Park, you 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 had this is more of an essential need for you feeling like people couldn't do things as well without you, and they knew who you were, and they knew your name, and it was small enough that the holiday picnic was really a picnic, mm. and you knew, you know, more than half the people that were at the picnic. Emmanuel was was a kind of a culture shock when I went over there, but at the same time, it freed me up from feeling like I had to be there. If I wanted a bad hair day, I didn't feel guilty about doing that at Emmanuel. At Holiday yeah. Park, it could it could kill you if you because if there were only two nurses on and you call in, right? Who's gonna work, man? Right. <laughs> So yeah, even, so I worked sick a lot at when I when I worked at Holiday Park. <laughs> yeah, so there are benefits to <laughs> there the are, larger. There are benefits mm-hmm. to the larger. And I, I think that the, that the upper level people nowadays are a little more cognizant of the fact that they need to be visible mm-hmm. to their employees. Totally. Because truly, if their employees aren't happy, their bottom line isn't going to be happy. Would you have done anything differently? As far as your career? My career as a whole no I well I, I think I, I would have tried to get into the critical care a little bit quicker than nine months <laughs> right so that you I didn't have that epiphany your, moment with the temperatures <laughs> of your 40 almost 40 years of experience you still it's like you such battle wounds from those nine months I know months. isn't that awful like those are the most visible for you that's fascinating and you're and you're fresh out of school and you don't know that's what true. you're doing and you're in charge of 35 patients Mm-hmm. I would have night dreams all the time about those patients, and I my dreams would run along the vein of I forgot to assign a patient to someone, mm-hmm. and they would go the whole shift without mm-hmm. their meds, mm-hmm. you know, without any TLC, without seeing a nurse, and because and mm-hmm. we would just think that someone else was taking care sure. of them. That was one of my biggest nightmares. <laughs> That's so true, though. When you're so green. scars. It's true. When you're it so green, does. you're so much more vulnerable to that. And it's just oh, like, yes, you are. And, and, and you think that people are going to die at the drop of a hat on you. Right. You know, and you're, and you're terrified that you're going to kill someone. And I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. It doesn't, it takes, it takes a while for that to go (laughs) away, but it it does go away. I promise you it will. (laughs) That's good to know. We're all out there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, uh, what pearls of wisdom do you have for those of us who have long careers ahead of us? Figure out how to handle your stress levels first off and leave your work at work. Because if you bring it home, it will affect your home life. And you probably don't really want that. I, I would say if you're starting school, get your degree because you're going to need it. Yeah. 
get your degree. And so definitely get your degree because otherwise you will go nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I would also say if you want to be in management while you're still in school, um, keep going and get Get your your master's master's. or your PhD Mm -hmm. because you're not going to want to go back. Mm -mm. I mean, I know people do, but you know, they are so stressed out. I see some of the people in our unit that have been working for a while that have one, two, three kids Mm -hmm. and they are trying to get their bachelor's degrees or they're trying to get their master's degrees. They're still working full time. They're still trying to juggle their husbands, their family, their kids, (laughs) their wives. Yeah. And it, it just looks incredibly hard to me. Mm -hmm. I think that would make me crazy. Yeah, I don't want to go to the store my first day after three days on. Like, no, hello. <laughs> I don't have I any kids or anything. <laughs> and you don't want to see anybody. No. <laughs> you just want to be left alone. Talking about those bad hair days, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is there anything else at all you'd like to share with us about your 40 years in, in the in the biz? It was a It was a good career to have. And it, and I'm so glad that I managed to keep it separate a little bit from my life. And and I think I will always feel like a nurse, but I have no intentions of doing anything more with nursing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a freeing thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice that you're doing these interviews because I, I really feel like somebody should have sat down with me like a boss <laughs> <laughs> and had an exit interview. Well, and Linda, if you're, if you're listening to this, you oh, can Lord. call me later <laughs> and I'd be happy to come back in and talk to you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to but oblige. Truly, you know, cause there is, there is so much that, that you just, I don't know, nurse, nursing is such an all pervasive thing when you're, when you're there, you're just, you're doing everything you can to take care of these people. And it's, it's like being a waitress and a mom and a dad and a technical person and, uh, you know, a CNA and all kinds of different things like that rolled into one. Mm-hmm. And when you, and when you come home, you know, don't set yourself up to try to do a whole lot of stuff. your your first night off mm-hmm. because you're going to be too tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On that on that too tired note, what do you plan to do in your retirement? We are going to go camping next week for a week at the beach, uh, clamming tides. Mm. Yes, in Astoria. So we'll be digging razor clams. And then on the 22nd of June, we're going to Branson, Missouri with a friend of ours. Road trip um, for a week. He's got a timeshare there. And then we're going to wander our way down to New Orleans and kind of see Louisiana a little bit before we drive home. We'll probably be gone about three weeks or so. Exciting. So we have some trips coming up. And then, of course, fall fishing. That'll start probably, well, probably the first part of August. Exciting. Yes. I'm so excited you sat Thank down and you. got to talk to me. Thanks so much, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. Only a few drum noises. Gosh, those were annoying. I'm so sorry that we had to do that, but... I am a novice, and I'm learning, and I swear I can resuscitate you with the help of an ICU team. I know what I'm doing at my job. This is a this is a new thing. It's a hobby. I hope it grows, and I, I'm getting better at it every, every day. So thank you very much for your patience, guys, and hopefully you won't have to hear this noise over and over again. Wow. Yeah, not great. Okay, I'm stopping. For real. Here we go. And cue outro. You've just listened to episode two of Head to Toe. I'm Marie McMillan. 
For more information on the podcast, you can visit my website, which is mariemcmillan.com. That's M-A-R-I-E-M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.com. Also, if you are a registered nurse, a respiratory therapist, a doctor, retired healthcare worker with more than 20 years of experience, and you have stories to share, please feel free to email me at macmillanpages at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and sit down and discuss. Yeah. Thank you again for downloading and listening today. I hope to get episode three out there as soon as I can. So thanks very much. Take care. <laughs>